Come on in, grab a seat, grab your notes. Um, Josh is uh, away on a serving project uh, today. He's not here. Uh, so I, I'm just going to get us started. Uh, you, how many of you guys saw the movie, The Legend of Bagger Vance? Great movie. It's a story of a man named Juna, who's a great golfer, perhaps uh, the greatest golfer that ever lived. Uh, but he gets drafted in World War One, and he ends up becoming a captain and leading a company of men from his hometown of Savannah into battle. In one tragic battle, his entire company is wiped out. Everybody is killed except Juna. Now, Juna, he, he died that day as well. I mean, he became a shell of his former self. And then from that point forward, he just gives himself over to drink and gambling, doing whatever he can uh, to numb the pain of what has happened and how he survived. And, and then after the war, um, Juna's hometown of Savannah decides they're going to sponsor a golf tournament. And they invited two celebrity golfers to, to come and play along with um, some other people. Uh, one of them was Bobby Jones. The other was Walter Hagen. And they began thinking, you know, we, we need to compete against some hometown boy to make this interesting. But they aren't sure who to choose. Well, there's a young boy in the movie named Hardy. And Hardy uh, remembers um, Juna and what he used to do on the golf course. And so Hardy takes it upon himself uh, to go extend an invitation to Juna and ask him to play in the tournament. But uh, Juna refuses. Uh, he won't even entertain the thought of uh, playing in the golf tournament. Uh, but something inside of him uh, begins to kind of come alive thinking about it. He feels something calling, even though he's refusing to play. And so that evening... He sneaks out in the dark and decides to hit a bucket of balls. I want you to watch the screen. Who's that? Just me. Just a man trying to find some way to rest his tired feet. Taking in some of God's glories. My, what a night. I could have killed you out there. Oh, no, sir. See, I set myself directly in front of you. Judging by how you was hitting them balls, I figured that's why I'd be out of harm's way. Excuse me, sir. They say you can tell a player by his grip. 
You want you want some food or something? You go on into the house, help yourself. Oh well, thank you kindly, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I always felt a man's grip on his club just like a man's grip on his world. Look, is there something you want? Five dollars guaranteed. Guaranteed for what? Well, it's a big match coming up, Mr. Jones, Mr. Hagen. A fella gonna be needing a caddy. You a caddy? Well, it depends. You a golfer? Uh, I don't need a caddy. I'm not playing. I don't play anymore at all. Oh. Well, thank you, sir. I, I take you up on that food job for me. All right. Yeah, even, sir. Mm-hmm. Don't make no sense is all. Man say he don't play no golf, yet he out here this shade and not hitting balls off in the dark where he can't even see him. Yeah, well, I've done things that made less sense. As we all have. For five dollars guaranteed, I'm offering you mechanic services. For five dollars. You know the winner gets ten thousand, the caddy's cut is ten percent of that, so that's a thousand dollars. I take five dollars guaranteed. You don't want a thousand dollars? You done already said you ain't even playing, and Lord knows how awful you're gonna look if you do. So five dollars guaranteed sound pretty good from where I'm sitting. Yeah, rhythm of the game, just like the rhythm of life. Here. Here. Oh no, sir, I, I don't. Go on. Go ahead. Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> you know, some folks say uh, you should put the ball in the in the front of your stance. Uh, other folks say you should put the ball. You know, folks you say... You going to hit the ball or you going to dance with it? Well, actually, I'm kind of partial to dancing. Me and this guy over in Tallahassee. Hit the ball. Golfer. Uh, no, I don't play golf. Give me the damn club. Here, uh, the trick is to find your swing. What'd you say? Well, you lost your swing. We got to go find it. Now, somewhere in the harmony of all it is. All it was. Oof. All it will be. Wow. I ain't seen a man hit a ball like that since the North-South Championship 1916. You know, they stopped play for 20 minutes to measure how far it went. Back advance the name. I fear too many men are just like Juno. They've lost their swing. Now, somewhere in the mid-30s, life becomes heavy. Uh, I mean, you've you got job, you got wife, you got family, you got kids, one responsibility piled on another, and life stops becoming fun. And then in walks Bagger Vance. Now, you need to know Bagger Vance is a metaphor in the movie for God. Uh, specifically, uh, God's spirit that wants to and longs to engage us with life. And so, uh, 
Judah is introduced to Bagger, and Bagger ends up calling Judah out of hiding, uh, calling him to the heart that he was born with, the heart that's been there all along. And so Judah starts to believe. He thinks, well, there may be something more to this life, and so he decides to enter the tournament. Bagger becomes his caddy and his coach. Uh, Now, one night during the tournament, or just before the tournament begins, uh, Bagger and the little boy Hardy are out on the golf course. They're getting the lay of the land. And uh, Hardy starts asking Bagger a few questions. Let's listen to what he says. You think Junior can win? Yeah, if he can find his authentic swing. Authentic? Go on, hit one more for me. Yep, inside each and every one of us is one true authentic swing. Something we was born with. Something that's ours and ours alone. Something can't be taught to you or learned. Something that got to be remembered. Over time, the world can rob us of that swing and get buried inside us under all our woulders and couldas and shouldas. Some folk even forget what their swing was like. Some folk even forget what their swing was like. Who keeps swinging? But I don't have any balls. Don't worry about hitting the ball or where it's going to go. Just swing the club. Feel the club. Close your eyes. Close me. You can't make that ball go in that hole. You got to let it. I want you to feel the club. Holding on to feel the weight of the club. Sailing on your perfect line. Dropping it on the soft as butter. Listen to the sounds of the night. Just keep swinging that club till you the breeze. I know I see every one of us is one rustling through the tree. Authentic swing. said inside each one of us is one true authentic swing something we were born with something that's been there all along now that's what we're going to look at this semester your authentic swing we're talking about your design that was given to you at birth and last week I began to lay a foundation uh, for that and we want to build on it um, this week uh, and I think everything I, I'm going to say this semester, uh, it can be zeroed in in two things that I want you to take away from our time together. Uh, the first is I hope you'll gain a better understanding of your unique design, in other words, your authentic swing. And you'll discover what makes you come alive, and that's what the Servants by Design Inventory is designed to do uh, it speaks of core strengths that every man has, and those core strengths relate to what causes a man to come alive. 
what energizes a man. And next week we're going to jump into that by looking specifically at your profile and begin to understand uh, what it says about you. Uh, But if you've gone online to take the assessment, and hopefully all of you have, I want you to know that simply just reading the results is is not going to give you your authentic swing. It's not going to be enough. I mean, they mailed you results, uh, but it needs to be interpreted. And we tend to think that we're looking at a product here. If I can get the, the um, profile back, read it, that's who I am. But it's not a product we're interested in as much as a process. And Servants by Design will help us uh, through the process of understanding well, your authentic swing. And then secondly, you'll have opportunities to develop a personal mission statement, and we're going to walk through that together. It's a project uh, that we're going to do. I'm going to show you my personal mission statement. You're going to write your own, and it'll be a fun time doing that. And then we're going to, we're going to take that mission statement you're crafting. We're going to take what we learn about your design from Servants by Design, and then we're going to pull out that uh, life compass we began working on last semester and blend them all together and begin tightening the parameters uh, to help you see clearly the things that you are designed to do and that God has built in you to accomplish. And and then at the end, I'm going to have you end up turning in your mission statement, and you're going to narrow down that mission statement to a passion point. And that will be fun, and at graduation we'll share one another's passion points. And uh, it'll be fun listening to the, the passion point of the mission statement that they've come up with. Well, last week I shared uh, with you the core concept of Servants by Design. Uh, and uh, that core concept becomes a thread that runs through the heart of every session. I mean, do you remember what that core concept is? It's, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's logical. It goes like this, every person has been uniquely crafted and gifted by God to perform meaningful acts of service to him and to others. Every person has been uniquely crafted um, at conception, at conception, and gifted at conversion by God to perform meaningful acts of service to him and to others, and uh, as you move into more completely understanding who you are in your core concept, I think you'll see four benefits begin to bubble to the surface. The first there in your notes is you'll get a deeper appreciation of how God made you from birth, in other words, as he created you. Second, you'll have greater clarification or clarity and confidence in evaluating new opportunities that come across your path in the near and far future. It gives you a grid to evaluate those things. It allows you to say yes to certain things in an excited way and no with confidence to other things because that's not about who you are. That's not part of your authentic swing. Uh, Third, the discovery of invaluable insights for relating better to all kinds of people, whether it's in your family or at the office or in general. You'll gain insights not only to yourself but to others. And then fourth, you'll gain the experience of a new freedom to employ who you are in more meaningful ways. And you remember last week I shared with you some of my story and some of the freedom I felt as I began to understand how God has wired me, 
uh, how he has created me to function in life and the different jobs I kind of morphed into and how along the way, knowing how I was designed helped me understand the path I needed to take. And what materialized was an adventure, is an adventure with God. And that's what the great adventure is all about. So every one of us has a -a one-of-a-kind design authored by the Creator, uh, but because most people don't understand that design and that everyone's been gifted, uh, we miss the uniqueness of so many people we're around, and we miss our uniqueness. In fact, I'd like to read you uh, about some examples of people who made mistakes with reading people and they missed that individual's uniqueness. In fact, in 1933, casting director at MGM wrote a memo critiquing a particular actor. Here's what he said. Can't act, slightly bald. Now, I'm a little offended at that comment. Can't dance very well. Know who is evaluating? Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Astaire got a copy of that memo. He ended up framing it and putting it above the mantle in his home in Hollywood to remind him that was his first critique. That um, casting director missed someone with very unique design. Uh, One sports expert was evaluating a young football coach this way. He said, well, he possesses minimal knowledge of the game of football and lacks motivation. You know who he was evaluating? Vince Lombardi. I mean, he's shaking his head as he looks back and how he misread Vince Lombardi. Uh, This woman was advised by her family to work as a servant or a seamstress, but definitely not a writer. You know who she was? Louisa May Alcott, the author of Little Women. I mean, the people that knew her best, her parents missed her design. Uh, This man was said to handle the violin awkwardly, uh, preferring to play his own compositions in order to improve his technique. His teacher said he will be hopeless as a composer. That was Beethoven. She missed it totally. Uh, The teacher of famous uh, opera singer Enrico Caruso said, Caruso has no voice and cannot sing at all. Wow. Totally missed it. Uh, this man was, was fired from his first job at a local newspaper because he lacked any fresh ideas. He went bankrupt several times before establishing what became known as Disneyland. That's Walt Disney. I mean, the newspaper is just kicking themselves. Uh, Eighteen publisher turned down, publishers turned down Richard Bach's 10,000-word story about a soaring seagull. He said, this man can't write. Five years later, in 1970, uh, Macmillan Press picked up the book and printed Jonathan Living Seagull, and that year it sold 7 million copies in the U.S. alone. Wow. Far too many people spend their life floundering and faltering and struggling and they miss what God has for them because they don't recognize who they are or don't recognize who other people are, how they've been uniquely gifted. So uh, in this session, what I want to do is give you some practical evidence uh, 
behind the idea of core concept, and I think there's overwhelming evidence uh, to the fact that you have been gifted in certain ways since conception. There's overwhelming evidence I mean, in our physical makeup that your physical makeup is extremely um, unusual and it's distinct. Uh, first thing a, uh, a hospital nurse does after a child is born is make a print of his foot. Now, why do they do that? Because no two footprints are alike. It becomes a unique way of, inter- of identifying that child so they don't get him mixed up or her mixed up with other babies. Uh, your footprint is unique like no other. Today, DNA tests are uh, you know, given as definitive proof for solving crimes. Now, why is that? Because uh, no two DNA makeups are exactly the same. Each one is uniquely different and totally distinct. In fact, several years ago, uh, U.S. News and World Report uh, reported on uh, several promising anti-terror technologies uh, that employed authenticating a person's unique identity by using retina eye scans. Why? Because the retina is unique in every person and cannot be uh, faked or forged in any way. So you look at our bodies and we are unique physically, um, different from everyone else, Uh, Because of our physical makeup, we're very distinct, and I think that points to maybe if our bodies are that unique and like no other, uh, maybe our perceptions may be the same way, the way we perceive life. No two people perceive life exactly the same. I mean, you get to know people, and you, you get to see that they come at life through a different lens than you have. Every one of us has a different lens by which it evaluates life. And as a matter of fact, one of the invaluable insights that you'll get from Servants by Design is being able to see the different lenses people use in terms of how they perceive life coming at them. And it's going to help you understand not only the way you perceive life, but the way people on your team or in your family perceive life. Uh, They're not wrong or right. They're just different than you. Now, you might remember um, about... um, It was last week, I told you, we're going to look at six different personality differences. Uh, One of those differences, if you've taken your profile, is um, the category of achiever. Now, I come out high in the achiever area of uh, the Sermons by Design profile. And an achiever, well, he views life through a thinks-first lens. I'm logical. I tend to reason things out. But my wife, Patty, is a harmonizer. That's another one of the categories. Now, she views life through a feels-first lens. So you've got a thinks-first lens person and a feels-first lens person um, living in a marriage, and they face a difficulty, an upsetting problem in life. I mean, my job is to analyze it. I'm going to solve that sucker. Uh, Patty wants to talk about it. Share her feelings about it. I mean, she starts to talk about feelings, and I said, well, well, here's what we'll do about it. we do this, this, and this. And does that work, guys? Does that ever work for you? It's never worked because she feels like her feelings are invalidated. I'm trying to not just solve the problem. I'm trying to solve her and make her feelings go away. 
So I've learned, because she is a harmonizer and has a Phil's First Lens, I have to listen to her, validate what she is saying, and I may have a solution. I may have the thing solved already. But I have to listen and draw her out and let her know she's heard. And there are times that she sets aside her emotions uh, in order to listen to my quick solution, especially if it's an emergency. So seeing that you come at life, looking at life through two different lenses is very helpful, and I have to be careful uh, that I don't just stay on my channel, but I have to develop versatility uh, in order to get on her channel and understand what she's coming from. We also have different uniquenesses when it comes to styles of communicating. We're not all the same there as well. I mean, you can see that so clearly, just male and female differences in communicating. I mean, when you go home and your wife says, how was your day? How do you answer? Good, fine. Isn't it usually a one-word answer? They usually don't go, oh, honey, it was the hardest day. I mean, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened here, here, and here, and here. No, you go fine, and you go on. But when you ask her, how's her day, what do you get back? Usually it's several paragraphs, and it, it could involve some detail. If she's a detailed person, but it probably, and if she is a harmonizer, it involves some feelings. And uh, you kind of thinking, I, I just wanted to know you're fine. That's all I really wanted to know. And so you come at life with different communication styles. Now, if you got different styles, male and female, imagine how different the personality styles of communication are. I mean, some bosses uh, ha have a style that's a directive style. They like to speak on directive channels. Jane, get me a cup of coffee. Sharon, can you get that done by 2 o'clock? Now, other bosses have a more requestive style. Uh, Jane, would you mind getting me a cup of, cup of coffee when you get a chance? Or w would you mind getting the copies done uh, sometime this afternoon? So you have just different styles of communicating even in the office. Uh, one of the more practical evidences uh, is that our approach to learning varies greatly from one another. We all, have, we all learn things differently. So let me just ask you this, a, a little test. If you were asked to program a new remote for your devices in your multimedia room, what would you do? Would you, number one, throw them up on the screen, read the manual, two, take a class, three, ask someone to show you, four, trial and error? How, how, how would you do that? Let me give you a second to decide. Now, none are wrong or right. They're just different. How many would read the manual? How many would, okay, we've got some manual readers out there. How many would look to take a class? Uh, you're too busy for a class, aren't you? Yeah. That, that's kind of the last desperate step. Go to the Apple store and listen to one of their experts, you know, lecture on how to use a program. Um, okay, how many would ask somebody to show you? Got a few like that. How many trial and error people? Uh, I got a few. Yeah, that, that, see, that explains why I can't be talking to someone on my iPhone and look at my calendar without hanging up on them because I, I still have not figured out how to do that, trial and error. 
It's written down, I know, somewhere. I could read it, but I just hadn't had the time to do it. So we all have different approaches to learning. Uh, my son, who's a pediatric cardiologist, uh, he's a, a person that loves to read the manual. In fact, when he was in med school, he shocked me with a statement. He said, Dad, it's a waste of time going to class in med school. He said, I don't learn by listening to those professors, those doctors talk. I just read the book. I study the book, and I show up in class on test day, and I take the test. So he didn't go to class. He'd read the book, and he'd, he'd go to class to take the test. And he made straight A's through med school. Now, that just scares the snot out of me. I mean, being dyslexic, having to read the book in order to get the material, but, to, man, I'm looking for everywhere I can to get it explained to me and study it. But he's got a brother, his younger brother Daniel. He's more of a kinesthetic learner. He, he's a hands-on kind of learner. Um, just telling him something isn't enough. It's not the facts. He's kind of got to discover it. So I remember when Daniel was in college, um, it seems like every, every sem- in the end of every semester, there was always a crisis. He's got all these projects due and he can't get them done. He's got final exams and blah, blah, blah. I mean, and we'd talk to him on the phone and he's just a panic trying to get it done and things would be turned in incomplete. And I knew exactly what had happened. I mean, I'd watch him grow up. He's a procrastinator. He procrastinates right and left. But he's a kinesthetic learner. So to tell Daniel, Daniel, the reason you have a crisis every exam week is because you're a procrastinator would be in one ear and out the other. It just wouldn't register. wouldn't change anything about his perception or his behavior. And so I had to come up with a way of picturing that. So I, I was got into his room at, at college, and I ended up getting eight mason jars and putting them on his desk, and I had nine rocks in the mason jars. And I said, Daniel, I want to show you something. When your semester starts, your first day of class, you usually get an assignment, and each rock is representing some assignment you've got to do. Uh, and so uh, you get that assignment on that um, paper that's, got to do all that research for that's going to be due in eight weeks. But you think, I, I've got, golly, all the rest of the semester to get that done. In fact, uh, I'd like to just sleep in and you know, talk to my friends. So you take that project and you put it off and put it in week two. Each jar represented a week. But but what you've forgotten is in week two, you're supposed to go by the scholarship office to find out why your scholarships didn't, didn't fund. So you've got to make an appointment with the scholarship lady, and then you're going to have to address the issue. She tells you about why it didn't fund, which is probably going to be something you're going to have to get in, something you forgot to put in. Uh, but, you know, that week, golly, you wouldn't really want to go rock climbing with your buddies and then thrifting in Oklahoma City. So... You took these two projects out of that week and you put them in the third week. And so you can begin to see how it's building up, building up, building up, and you got eight weeks or ten weeks out here. And so by the time you get to week six, I mean, you, I'm cramming these things, trying to get them to balance in the, uh, in the jar. And I get over to week uh, eight, the last one, and on that jar is the label exam week. And I say, see, you got all this stuff 
to do. And you've got to get it done, and I am pushing and hitting, and bang, the jar burst into a bazillion pieces. And when it did, Daniel looked at me and laughed. He said, yeah, that's exactly what my exam week is like. <laughs> I tried not to laugh. But if I had told him you got to procrast- you're procrastinating, it would have been one- in one ear and out the other. He's got to see a visual example of it, and that's when I got to say, sweetie, you know what they call that? Procrastination. I can give you some tips on how to stop the, the procrastination in your life, and it would make your exam week a whole lot more relaxing. Now he's interested, and I had to go down that road because he's a kinesthetic learner. If it had been my first son, I just would have given him a book and said, read it do it. He probably would have just done it. So we all have different learning styles. In fact, I want to read you a story. And when I get to the end, I want you to tell me what you think the moral of the story is. Once upon a time, the animals decided they must do something heroic to meet the problems of the changing world, so they organized a school. They adopted a curriculum consisting of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make the school easier to administrate, they decided that all animals should take the same subjects. Well, the duck was an excellent it was excellent at flying, uh, better in fact than the, than the instructor, and he made passing grades in swimming, but the duck was very slow at running, so he had to stay after school and drop flying practice so he could uh, practice running and climbing. By the end of the semester, he lost so many feathers in his remedial climbing class that he almost failed in flying. And his webbed feet were so worn from running that he was only average in swimming, but average was acceptable at the school, so nobody worried about it except the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but he had a nervous breakdown because of having to do so much makeup work in swimming. Uh, the squirrel was an excellent, cli- excellent in climbing, but she became frustrated in flying class where the teacher made her start from the ground up instead of from the treetop down as she was used to. She developed leg cramps from overexertion of trying to develop sufficient takeoff speed and ultimately got a C in climbing and a C in running. The eagle was a constant disciplinary problem. He beat everyone else to the top of the tree in his class, uh, but his test scores were disallowed because he didn't follow the acceptable procedure on how to get there. At the end of the school year, the Cocker Spaniel became the class valedictorian, even though he had only six working brain cells and completely bombed out in flying. But he tried real hard at everything, and the teacher loved his attitude. So what's the point of the story? What's the moral? What would you come up with? You need to focus on what people are good at? Okay. What else? Anything else? You'd say major on the majors? Another way of saying it? How many times in your life has someone said, you've really got to shore that up? It was a weakness you really didn't like, 
you didn't want to do that. It wasn't you, and you would have liked to have ignored it. But in order to be well-balanced, your teacher or your mom or dad said, you've got to get good at this, but you knew it wasn't you. That was playing the piano for me. Four years of piano lessons. I know, I know where C is. That's, that's all I know now. I hated it. In fact, I just cut corners. I put numbers on my fingers and numbers on the letters, and I just read the numbers because uh, I wasn't the least bit interested in playing the piano. But mom thought that was very important. You need to know where people run deep. And you need to encourage them to run deep in those areas. Now, listen, when it comes to personality, function always follows design. Function always follows design. Uh, Like the animals, we all don't have the same physical makeup. We don't have the same perceptions. We don't have the same strengths, the same communication style, the same approach to learning. Rather, each one of us has been uniquely crafted and gifted by God to perform meaningful acts of service to him and to others. How you do that is your function, your uniqueness. And that function should follow our God-given design And if you want to live the adventure that God has for you, created you for, then you can't violate that principle. Function follows design. So you've got to start with your design in order to understand your function. Now, there are are many more practical evidences of, of core concept, but... I want to investigate just one in our time remaining, and that is the biblical evidence. And I think of three core principles related to God's unique design in each of our lives. We're going to look at the first two uh, today, the third one next week. And the first foundational principle in your notes is, all that we are and have that is worthwhile is a grace gift from God. Now, what do I mean by grace gift from God? You might want to write down this definition. I'll put it on the screen. A grace gift is a unique talent, motivation, or ability that we didn't earn or deserve, but God endowed us with them anyway. He gave it to us anyway. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And uh, I told you last week you might be surprised as we read the Bible how it speaks to design and purpose-related issues. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting of turning. It all comes from God. Uh, Paul said the same thing in terms of rhetorical question to the church at Corinth. He said, for who regards you as superior, and what do you, what do you have that you didn't receive? He, he's implying that what you have, uh, you didn't earn it. You didn't make it up. It was given to you, and it was undeserved. In other words, it's by grace. It's a grace gift from God. Now, that's pretty simple to understand. Who you are is given to you by God. Uh, second principle. Some grace gifts are crafted by God at conception, while others are given at conversion. Now, we're going to talk about the gifts given at conversion next week, uh, and that has impact on your design. But I want to look at the gifts that are given to you at conception. And probably the best place to go is Psalm 139, Psalm written by David, who was a king 
in Israel. Uh, it's great as king, probably. Uh, but he had a very unique design. I mean, David was a shepherd. He was a musician. He stuck with playing the piano. He didn't quit it like me. He was a great warrior, and he was a significant leader. And so as I read this passage of Scripture to you, you notice in your notes it has blanks. I want you to put your name in the blank. I'm going to read it with my name in the blank. I want you to get a feel for exactly what the Scripture is saying here. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 13 says, "For For you created Doug's innermost being. You can put your name in there. You knit Doug together in his mother's womb. Doug praises you because Doug is fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Doug knows that full well. Doug's frame was not hidden from you when it was made in secret in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw his unformed body. All the days ordained for Doug were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are designed by God. You are who you are because God knew you. And he says, I made you. And at the same time he made you, uh, he has gifted you, and he's ordained you. And it says that the days that you are on this earth are written in his book. He even knows what those days are. And he calls it all wonderful. That's who you are. Now, doesn't that sound like there's a significant degree of intentionality in who you are, your gifts and uniquenesses? Even your weaknesses. Those weren't overlooked by God. I mean, I have certain weaknesses that I'm so happy Patty meets in me. Uh, those weaknesses are valuable in our relationship together. Even our weaknesses are part of who we are. And the designer is telling us he knew knew us from the beginning. He knew our unique wiring. He wants to be in. He was involved back then in putting it together, and he wants to be involved today in helping you utilize that design. In fact, all that does is bring us back to that uh, wiring diagram we had in session six. You look at that diagram when we filled it in, and that was pretty confusing, but all we're talking about takes place right down here. This is where we're focused, how we're gifted at birth. So it makes sense that the pursuits that we um, are after in life need to be in line with how we're gifted at birth and that the legacy we leave when we leave this earth has to be in line with it all as well. And that is exactly what God wants us, how he wants us to live. And that's the way he's designed life to be lived out. So let me just ask you a question. We've been together for, what, five, six months. What are my abilities? What things do you observe in me? Strengths, abilities? Like a leader? Okay, teacher? Patient? Well, should ask Daniel. I had that much patience. What was that? Okay, communicator. I know none of you said brilliant. I'm waiting for that. Thank you. Now, see, those are observable things. You've been around me enough 
that you just started observing those strengths and abilities and um, someone can observe those same things in you or different things. Now, it's interesting. You know those things. You haven't seen my profile. You don't know my gifts inventory. Uh, you haven't lived in my home with me. Uh, you don't haven't read my job description. But who I am inside is irrepressible. It has to come out. Uh, I mean, it comes out in family. It comes out at work. It comes out when you're fishing, hunting, hobbies. Your design is irrepressible. And it comes out when you're around others. Function always follows design. So instead of stumbling upon your design, we, we need to look at how you're gifted at birth and the things God has stirred in you through desires and take advantages of those as we pursue the things he has for us to do in order to leave the legacy God has for us. And that is the essence of the great adventure. Now, in the movie, The Legend of Bagger Vance, uh, Juna accepts the challenge to to play in the tournament. And he has several good days. And then on the last day, he hits a ball and he goes off into the woods. And it's really a metaphor. It's a metaphor for a man who's lost. He's not sure who he is. His fears then come rushing back to him. But Bagger Vance is there with him to help him through. Watch this clip. Club Dale Junior. I can't do this. Hey, you might should just loose your grip up a smidge. You know, a man's grip on his club is like a it's man's grip. It's not what I'm up. talking about. I know. No, you don't. What I'm talking about is a game. A game that can't be won, only played. You don't understand. I don't need to understand. And a soul on this entire earth ain't got a burden to carry. He don't understand. You ain't alone in that. But you've been carrying this one long enough. Time to go on. Lay it down. I don't know how. You got a choice. You can stop. Or you can start. Start. Walking. Where? Right back to where you always been, and then stand there. Still. Real still. And remember. It's too long ago. Oh no, sir. It was just a moment ago. Time for you to come on out the shadows, Juna. Time for you to choose. 
I can. Yes, you can. But you ain't alone. I'm right here with you. I've been here all along. And play the game. Your game. The one that only you was meant to play. One that was given to you when you come into this world. You ready? Take your stance. Strike that ball, Junior. Don't hold nothing back. Give it everything. Now's the time. Let yourself remember. Remember your swing. That's right, Junior. Settle yourself. Let's go. Now is the time, Junior. See, Juno is a picture of a man who doesn't know who he is. He's lost. He's gripped by fear. He's not sure what direction to go. And in walks Bagger Vance, a metaphor for God's spirit. It wants us to engage with life and wants to lead us. Do you remember what Bagger said? He says, it's time to choose. And Juno said, but I can't. Then Bagger says, yes, you can. You're not alone. I'm right here with you. I've been here all along. Now play the game, your game, the one you were meant to play, the one that was given to you when you came into this world. You see, every man to live the great adventure has got to discover the gifts that are the game he has made to play, a game given to him when he came into this world, and He has to discover the grace gifts that will help him play that game well. Well, this week we looked at two of the gifts you get at um, at conception. Next week we're going to look at some gifts you get at conversion. So, and then we'll dig into your profile. So, if you haven't taken the Servants by Design, you've got to go online and take it. uh, And you've got to bring your results next week, and we'll start going over it in detail. Thanks, guys. Some of you are going to want to pick up that, this movie and watch it. It's a great one. Thanks for... Um,